So normally I'm over there. As a matter of fact, on a morning like this morning, I would get over there at 6.30 in the morning to start setting up. It's a wonderful church. We average about 280 in attendance over there. And um, last Sunday, was Easter last Sunday? Oh, just a week ago? Feels like months ago at the moment. It's crazy. But um, <clears throat> last Sunday, we had an amazing service. About 420-something came, and uh, we had an Easter experience. Anyway, that's all off the, the subject. But basically, <clears throat> my and my wife's baby shower is this afternoon. We were expecting our first child in June, in two months. And, uh, and it's going to be a boy. His name's going to be Slade. Some of you have heard this before, so forgive me. But I want to tell you uh, about the name Slade. So it's actually very interesting. Slade Hezekiah Rigsby is going to be his name. I got, to, I got to choose. Abby let me choose his middle name, Hezekiah. And she chose his first name, Slade. So I chose Hezekiah because he's one of the great kings in the Old Testament, one of the great kings of Judah. And um, Hezekiah means the Lord is my strength, is what Hezekiah means. Slade means in the valley. So if you put those two together, and we didn't mean to do that, but if you put those two together, it's pretty, ni pretty nice, right? So in the valley, the Lord is my strength. So if this, this kid ever goes through some tough times, <clears throat> he's going to know. Just look to his name. And uh, there's one, there one night, Carson's laughing. There's one night over there, I don't know, a few weeks ago, I'm like, what does Rigsby mean? Because, you know, if it just kept flowing, that'd be really nice. <clears throat> so I look up Rigsby, and if you look it up, I'm sure that, okay, so Rigsby is a noun in England, evidently. Rigsby means a rough or loose woman. <laughs> Uh, according to Webster's Dictionary. <clears throat> so, in the valley, the Lord is my strength, a rough or loose woman. I don't know. I texted my dad as soon as I found that out. I texted him and I'm like, uh, did you know about this? Because this is crazy. Anyway, so, um, okay. All that aside, our baby showers this afternoon. <clears throat> this weekend, I went to Guy's Retreat, MBYG, <clears throat> the youth group. We had a guys retreat, 84, 85 guys from this church, 7th through 12th grade, <clears throat> went to guys retreat. I was supposed to be there <clears throat> and come home this evening, but Ben Beavers, who normally teaches this class, agreed to come up and sub out with me last night. So last night he went up there, I came home, and that way I'm able to, able to go to my baby shower. So thus, I'm here. Because he said, well, I need you to teach fuel class for me. And I said, absolutely. I love fuel. And I love uh, the college ministry here at North Boulevard. And so definitely want to do that. The, the picture you see on your screen is a picture of my wife and I. But not when we were married. It was our first picture we ever had together. Somewhere around our first date. Um, our first date was on February the 2nd. 2000. February the 1st? I don't know. Hey, I know, I know when we were married, so <laughs> January 9, I got that. The date, though, it was a great date. Look, none of y'all have had a better date than I had <laughs> that first date. It was amazing. I'm, I'm not kidding. We went, um, I took, I, I picked up Abby and we went to, 
Well, we do. We went go kart, or we went to go USA and golf, like putt putted around, and that was like at lunch, right? Lunch ish and um, and then we went up and got ice cream at the dessert place up in Nashville somewhere, and then we went to Demas's where she met my parents on our first date. Yeah, that happened. <laughs> and then um, and that was in Nashville. They just happened to be up there, and so we were like, hey, here, I'll just introduce you to my parents. And uh, so we went over there, and um, and. Uh, yeah, you're right, it was February 1st, because February 2nd was a Sunday. Anyway, so, <laughs> so, um, and then after that we walked across the Shelby Street Bridge, which is where I asked her out, uh, which a year and a half later would be where I proposed to her and got engaged. And, um, and then, and we, we, tried, we tried to see if we could get married there. You can get married on the Shelby Street Bridge, but you have to get a permit, and it costs thousands of dollars, and anyway. Um, so, where was I? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Then, then we went ice skating. Oh man, it was. I mean, it was an all-day date. It was wonderful. So, the next day she invites me to church. So I did something right because at least she's inviting me to her church the next day. And her church was uh, having a preview service because they were about to launch the West Campus where I now work. See how this all comes for full circle? Anyway, so. They were having a preview service at the West Campus on this February the 2nd now, on the Sunday. And um, her whole family was there. And I actually deleted this picture. But her whole family was there because her brother was proposing that day at the West Campus. And so, uh, anyway, I got to meet her entire family on the day after our first date, after she met my parents, and it all went really, really fast, and it was overwhelming, and it was awesome. But uh, anyway, that summer we went to Rock Island State Park. Okay, there they are. I was about to say, where are my notes at? I don't necessarily need them, but... So that summer we went to Rock Island State Park, and um, have you... Who's been to Rock Island State Park? It's super cool. There's a, if you go up there, you can park and then you can go down this little pathway and there's a really big kind of swimming hole or swimming area and then you can actually walk a path down to a big waterfall and there's a beautiful waterfall. It's really, really cool. You gotta go. Uh, Abby and I went there several times. She took me on day trips there several times uh, through our, our first summer. And there was this one particular time, this was the first time we went, actually, the, the picture you're looking at. One time, though, during the heat of the summer, we went, <clears throat> we went swimming, and there is a, um, there's a rock ledge that is, I claim, 30 feet high. Now, others will tell you it's more like 15, but it's, it's at least 30 feet. It might be 60. <laughs> but, but anyway, it's 30 feet high above the water, and there are... There are people that are going up there and jumping off the water, in, like off this ledge, into the water. And Abby, I promise you this happened. Abby's not so sure, but I promise you this happened. Abby's like, <clears throat> do you want to go up there and jump? And I said, yes, let's go. And so we, we go up on top of this rock on this ledge. And there's a line of like 10 or 12 people. They're all jumping, just one at a time, all just jumping off the ledge. And it's awesome, right? Because I'm trying to be macho because I'm dating this girl and I'm trying to be cool and everything. And we get up on this ledge and all of a sudden it's not so cool anymore, right? It's 30 feet above the water. It might have even grown since I went up there to like 45 feet above the water. 
And I'm looking down off this ledge and it's like, oh man, it's starting, the fear's starting to grip me. And so Abby's like, I'll go first. And so she jumps off into the water. <laughs> and I look down there and she disappears into the water. And then she resurfaces. And I'm like, oh, okay, we're good. At least my date is alive. Okay? <laughs> but, so I'm like, all right, now it's my turn. And there are people behind me, and they're all waiting on me. And uh, this little kid, even, he's like six or seven years old, he's like, are you going to go? And I'm like, give me a moment. You know, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. And then he just takes off, and he goes. Anyway, so I'm standing on this ledge, and I, I do wonder if this could be a picture of where you are in Christ. Well, I'm going to pause the, the story there. But could this be where you are with Jesus? You're working on understanding your salvation. Jesus Christ is your Savior, and you know that. You know some things about the Bible. You're trying to be committed to Christ. You're starting to recognize just how narrow the path is because Jesus has called each and every one of you to be a narrow path Christian. And Jesus is calling you. Like Abby was calling me from, this, from the water, saying, hey, jump. And Jesus is calling you from these waters of discipleship. And, and, and you're on this ledge of hesitation, not ready to fully commit, not ready to fully jump. And there's something that's holding you back. There's some kind of fear when you read a passage like Matthew 10, where we're going to be this morning. Um where Jesus says, jump off the ledge, but you know if you jump, you might get hurt. So we're going to be in chapter 10, verse 17. Um, we're going to look at what happens when you jump from the ledge of hesitation into the waters of discipleship. Look at Matthew 10, 17. It says, be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local synagogues, or I'm sorry, local councils, councils and be flogged in the synagogues. In verse 18, we see that you're going to be dragged in front of governors and kings. And in verse 21, brother's going to betray brother and a father his child. And children's going to rebel against their parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm until the end will be saved. And we see that Jesus is preparing you. He's preparing his disciples at the moment. But he's, he's preparing you for what's coming in your life. For when you jump into these waters of disciple making. Um, but the problem is you're afraid. Jesus says there's a price to be paid, and, and following me is going to cost you something. Um, but he's calling you from this ledge of hesitation into these waters of disciple making. Now, a, a disciple, I want to just give you a quick disclaimer. A disciple, because if you don't know what the word disciple is, I didn't know what the word disciple was when I went to the West Campus five years ago. A disciple, all it is is someone who follows somebody else. So if I, if um, when I was a young child, my dad, I, I was a disciple of my dad, right? Like I was, I wanted to be like him. I wanted to imitate him. So a disciple is someone who imitates and follows somebody. So so now I'm a follower and a disciple of Jesus, so I try to imitate Jesus in my life. That's all a disciple is. Really easy. So if you're a disciple maker, that means you're trying to, you're trying to make people follow and imitate Jesus. Um, now we're going to look at two aspects this morning. Mark's kind of, of, of discipleship. <clears throat> the first one's found in verses 24 and 25 of that same chapter. Matthew chapter 10. 
<clears throat> Matthew 10 says, The student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub... Okay, hold on. So, so this is all kind of confusing. It can be. So look at what he says. Let's just take verse 24. The student is not above his teacher, nor the, nor the servant above his master. All Jesus is saying here is, is it is enough to be like me. The, the student is... When I, was a, when I was a disciple of my dad, I was not supposed to be greater than him. I was supposed to try to become like him. When you're a disciple of Jesus, the goal is not for you to become greater than Jesus. The goal is to become like Jesus. And that's all Jesus is saying there. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. That's all he's saying. And then look what he says. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household. So this first aspect is the disciples' identity. Jesus is talking about an identity crisis you're going to face when you jump off of, these, of this ledge of hesitation into the waters of discipleship. He says, he says you're going to be called Beelzebul. The, if, if, the, if the head of the household, that's Jesus, is called Beelzebul, then, then the other members of the household, that's you, are going to be called Beelzebul. So you're going to be called Beelzebul. And you're like, well, I don't know what Beelzebul, I mean, what, that doesn't even mean anything to me. Beelzebul was a, was a super derogatory term in the day. The, the disciples knew exactly what this meant. It, it meant Lord of the dung pile or, or Lord of the flies. It was, it was Lord of the maggots, trash. It was, it was Satan, basically. I mean, that's what Beelzebul was, Satan. It was, it, was Lord, it was a horrible derogatory term. And so Jesus is saying, I get called Beelzebul, and you're going to get called Beelzebul too. And maybe you're not being called Lord of the Dung Pile. This is, I'm talking about you. Maybe that's not happening to you right now, but you could be and you will be if, you're, if, you're, if you jump into these waters of discipleship and disciple making and you start being called what Jesus is being called, you will be called a, a bigot, most likely. You may be called a, 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 a sexist. You may be called some of these things. Right? Christianity is, is being called these things. And, and you're like, well, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words are never going to hurt me. You, you can call me anything you want. But what about when that association turns into something worse? Uh, what, what about when you don't get that job? You're all in college right now, and, and, and you go and you interview for a job, and that person's like, you know what? They go, I, I don't think I'm going to hire that person because I, I know the reputation of, of who they associate with. Because they associate with Jesus. And so, so what about when you don't get that job? Look, I worked at... Fe this happens. And I know some of you may be thinking, ah, it's not going to happen. We're in the South and all that. But it happens in the South. I worked at Federal Mogul Motor, motor Parts. Federal Mogul Motor Parts in Smyrna. It was a, it was a parts distribution warehouse. What is this? From your mother-in-law. Oh, Yes! All right, you're the man, Philip. That is Zyrtec. Okay, at least I hope it was. It was a, it was a white pill. Look, if I collapse, she, he said it was my mother-in-law, so you know who to go to. Anyway, so. Federal Mogul Motor Parts. I worked there uh, for a year and a half. Great job. I had great. I had. I had. I had great pay. Great benefits. It was wonderful. I got to work on a laptop all day. 
Who doesn't like that, right? But anyway, so I made spreadsheets. My job was uh, kind of a professional Tetris player. I, I got to try to decide where boxes of all and, and pallets of all different shapes and sizes were going to go to be able to store them, to be able to ship them out uh, and get them effectively to different places. Anyway, I worked at this place and I, uh, in, in 2016, David Young, the preacher here, he, he challenged me with making disciples at my workplace. <clears throat> Over 50% of the people in that place are Muslims. And I love every one of them. I, there were so many of them. There were, a lot of them were from uh, different countries, Africa and, and Middle East and all that. And, and I, I loved them. I mean, they truly, I mean, don't get me wrong, they were amazing people. They were all friendly. They were all very, very loving, very kind. And I decided I was going to try to make a Bible study or discipleship group or whatever you want to call it. And uh, so I, I did that during the lunch hour, if you will. And um, got about three other guys. We started studying the Bible every, every, every day, basically. But at least once a week, we would try to do it. <coughs> and, uh, and excuse me, my, my bosses found out and they told me that I had to stop. Hey, you can't do that. Uh, I was technically in management, although I didn't really manage anybody, uh, but, but I was considered management, and so they said, you know, you can't do that as a manager. That's fine. So I, I, so I, I took them off the premises. I said, hey, let's meet after work, and let's do it that way. And then I started getting more bold, and I started, I started we were launching at the time, we were launching Smyrna Laverne, uh, the, the campus up there in Smyrna. And so I started getting these, these invites, and I would post them to the bulletin boards, where, you know, it has the OSHA requirements and stuff. I would post them on the bulletin boards. And they didn't like that. So they, they looked at the camera, and they saw it was me, and they told me to stop. And then I got even more creative. I would, I would like, because I knew the cameras in there, I'd open the door just barely, <coughs> turn off the lights where they couldn't see anything. <laughs> go in there, pin it up, leave, right? I, I, I was trying hard. The, the day I left, because they, they ended up, this whole story is, a, they ended up forcing me out, really. I mean, I, it was a resignation. But it was, it was kind of a forced resignation, if you will, in terms of, no, 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 it hasn't happened yet. I just felt it, and so I went like that. Anyway. So, um, but, it was a forced resignation, if you will, because they said, you know what, we really can't have you working here if you're gonna, if you're gonna tell others about Jesus. And so, <clears throat> I left. I went to work for the YMCA, uh, and then I was a part-time person here at North Boulevard at the time, and God took care of me. He took care of everything I had, but what I'm telling you is, it will happen. When you go and you interview for jobs or, or um, Maybe you won't even get a job. Maybe you won't get a promotion. Maybe it's that. But something's going to happen in your life. And are you ready to jump off of the ledge into the waters? Because when you do, that's going to happen. Identity. That's the first mark of discipleship. You're going to be... Um, you're going to be uh, identified with Jesus. I'm going to just throw that down. <clears throat> and you say, you know what? I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if I want to jump off this ledge. Instead, I think I'm just going to, I'm just going to go to church on Sundays. I'm going to have this, this average, manila, not taking risk life. I'm going to live in a, in a gated community one day, and I'm going, to, I'm going to have an alarm on my house, and we're never going to go outside, and you know, I'm, going to, I'm going to make all my kids wear helmets. You know, I've, I watched some thing one day where they were like, man, what is wrong with parents nowadays? But like, 
Maybe that's going to be your life. Maybe you're just going to take everything really safe and really not risk anything. Because it is a risk to go into these waters of discipleship. But Jesus speaks directly to this fear that you have. And he goes on right after this. And he says three times in the coming verses, do not be afraid. Verse 26, 28, and 31. He says some version of don't be afraid or do not be afraid. <laughs> he, he really talks to the disciples' intrepidity. That's the next... That's the next mark of discipleship. The first one was identity. The second one, intrepidity. Yes, that's a word. No, I don't have it up on the board for you for, to spell for you if you're writing. Uh, I'll tell you how I learned this word. I went to New York City a year ago, almost a year ago, with my wife and my parents. We went to explore the city, and then we went on a cruise later. But we went on. We went to explore the city and. <clears throat> to have a good time. And um, and there was an exhibit there on the Hudson River called the USS Intrepid. It's an aircraft carrier that's docked on the Hudson River. <clears throat> and um, I think I have a couple pictures. There's the aircraft carrier. The USS Intrepid. <clears throat> it's awesome. You can go. There's a, there's a space shuttle on the aircraft carrier itself. That is a picture of the, the shuttle being flown into... New York City. No, I didn't take that picture. <clears throat> but, um, but it's super cool. You can get to see the space shuttle. You get to see all these different kinds of aircraft. And, and you get to walk all the way through the, the aircraft carrier. It's awesome. If you've never been to New York City, if you've never been to the Intrepid, you have to go because it's really cool. I wondered, what does Intrepid, what does the word Intrepid mean? <clears throat> After we left that place. And so I looked it up. I googled Intrepid. And um, it comes from the Latin word intrepidus. In means not. Trepid means alarm. So it, it means to not be alarmed, but it literally means fearless. Intrepidity is fearlessness. You know how they have the sentence in the dictionary, like, like this word goes with this sentence? Um, it said... The special forces of the United States Army, often called the Green Berets, are intrepid men who infiltrate enemy territory. And that's really it. We're, we're to be intrepid, fearless men and women of God who infiltrate enemy territory. Uh, but it's going to take courage. Now, how do we become intrepid? That's the question. Because you're standing on this ledge, there, there's circumstances in your life that's brought you fear and you're standing on this ledge of discipleship and you want to jump. I know every one of you, that, that you want to jump into this water, but there's something that's holding you back and Jesus gives you five things here. He tells you <coughs> five things, how to be intrepid. The first one is the eye of the creator in Matthew 10:26. Matthew 10, 26 says, So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. Now what does that mean? Now remember, there is a reality that when Jesus sends you out as disciples, there is an entire agenda of destruction against you. There is an agenda of destruction against every one of Jesus' disciples. It's a corrupt world. And the enemy is real. 
and you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be associated with Christians. You might even be beaten or flogged, remember, uh, in the synagogues and the temple courts and all that. <clears throat> you might even be killed. I mean, you might be in your lifetime. The way this country is going and all that, we, you know, we're not going to go there. But, but in your lifetime, you might be persecuted to the point of martyrdom where you give your life for this cause. Certainly, uh, if you go overseas, for sure, uh, to some countries, you might be. But <clears throat> even here in America, you might be. Um, but what he says is, this, what he says here is, it's a word of vindication. Jesus is saying, although it's a corrupt world, although there's an agenda of destruction against you, although you might be beaten, although you might be persecuted, although you might be flogged, although you might die for this, there's nothing I don't see. God says there's nothing that's, gonna, that, that's concealed that's gonna be, not going to be disclosed. So basically, if, if somebody does persecute you, I see it. If, if nobody else saw it and it's hidden right now, one day it's all going to be revealed. It's all going to be made known. The eye of the Creator is the first thing that should give us intrepidity. The second is the words of Jesus. Jesus says, What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight, and what's whispered in your ear, proclaim from the rooftops. <clears throat> it wasn't uncommon in this time for, for uh, people to proclaim things from the rooftops. The, the disciples that Jesus is talking to here, they, they completely understand this. We may not. <clears throat> but, Let's say at my house, there's like tons of people walking around because they don't have cars. There's tons of people walking around all over the streets. <clears throat> if we lived back then, I would get up on my roof and I'd say, Hey, everybody, we're going to have a cookout <clears throat> behind the house in my backyard. I want everybody to come. So they proclaim things from the rooftops like that all the time. And so Jesus is saying, <clears throat> what I... Tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What, what is whispered in your ear, proclaimed from the roofs. And what, the other thing that's interesting here is there's actually a word picture. Back in the day, in this day, by the way, anybody ever tells you back in the day, it's always a Wednesday. Okay. That's just a random aside. It was Wednesday back in the day. But anyway, <clears throat> back in the day, a rabbi would actually take their student and he'd tell them, uh, he, he'd, he'd whisper. So, for instance, it would be like uh, Carson. Carson comes up here. Don't really. But it would be like Carson coming up here, <clears throat> and I would whisper something into his ear if I'm his teacher. I'd whisper something into his ear, and then he would proclaim whatever I'm telling him. It was a way to, to, to be able to teach a student how to speak in public. And, and so <clears throat> that would happen on a regular basis. And so Jesus is saying, what I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight, what's whispered in your ear. This is a word picture. Jesus is the master, so whatever he's whispering in your ear. For you, it's what you, uh, it's what you learn in your quiet time with Jesus. It's what, when you go to your pr prayer closet and Jesus tells you something. When you're reading the word of God and you're reading scripture, whatever he's telling you, whatever he's whispering to you, he wants you to proclaim it from the rooftops. Jesus is giving you the words. It's right there in the Bible. So Jesus is giving you the words to say. All you have to do is proclaim it. That's the second thing that should give you intrepidity, fearlessness, courage. The third thing is the power of the Almighty. Jesus says, don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. 
And what's the idea here? The idea here is that some guy out there, he can take you and he can beat you, he can flog you, he can whip you, he can call you names. He, he can ruin your life and take your job away. He can do all these things to you that, that can, it can be really horrible. But Jesus says, no, no, no. That's just a moment in time. Don't worry about those guys that can do that. Instead, worry about the one, the Almighty One, who can not only take your life, but can condemn your soul to hell. <clears throat> this moment affliction of affliction is nothing compared to the eternal affliction that can be laid on me by the Master. Oh, and that guy that's been mocking you, remember, nothing is going to be uh, hidden that's going to be disclosed. And so what that means is that Jesus is going to take care of him. Right, the Father is going to take care of him. He's going to get his day. So, so the power, he, he, can, he can condemn that guy's soul to hell. Don't pray for that. But, but what I'm saying is that can happen. The fourth thing that should give us intrepidity is the care of the Father. <clears throat> I love this. Jesus goes right from the power of the Almighty. He says, he says, Worry about the one with the big arm, right? The one that can, that can ruin your life and they can also condemn your soul to hell. And then he says, yeah, but, but are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Do you have any bird watchers in here? I doubt it because it's like not a thing that young people do. No? Um, I worked at Anderson Pools throughout college. The best job ever. If you can be a pool guy, be a pool guy because it's amazing. You get to drive around and go to all these really fancy houses with these really fancy pools and uh, clean them and you get to learn all about water chemistry. It's super nerdy, I guess, but it's super cool. And um, you go home smelling like chlorine. You get to dig out rats and stuff out of the out of the uh, pumps anyway awesome one time I was tearing out a liner on this on this one pool <laughs> and we pull back the liner and all these I had to be a thousand spiders just and we were like leave and so we all left it was like three of us and we all got in the van we said we're coming back tomorrow <laughs> called the called the owner said yeah you got a spider problem <laughs> I'm not spider-man I'm not taking care of it um, anyway, at Anderson Pools, you might be wondering where on earth, at Anderson Pools we also served, sold, served, we also served, we also sold bird feed. Um, all kinds of bird feed too. It was actually kind of cool. So you go into Anderson Pools, the right side of it is all pool stuff and chemicals and all that kind of stuff. On the left side is all bird stuff, bird houses, um, uh, bird feed, all that. So, so you go in there and you could, I knew all about, look, if you ask me now, I probably wouldn't know. But at the time, I knew all about what types of birds ate which bird feed. And so, uh, anyway, people would come in and, and there are some avid bird watchers out there. One of, the, one of the bird watchers goes to our church, uh, Nancy Robb. Anybody know Glenn and Nancy Robb? Mm -hmm. they, um, they are executive ministers now, essentially. And they're over <coughs> church planting at North Boulevard. And so they're, uh, they kind of oversee the Smyrna Laverne campus, the West campus, the, uh, all the missions, foreign missions, and all that kind of stuff. Glenn, Glenn does all that. Nancy Robb is his wife and is an avid, super avid bird watcher. She can tell you just by the chirp of the bird exactly what bird it is. It's crazy. Um, 
and they have all kinds of bird feeders and stuff. If you go over to their house, they have like birds of every color. That's, uh, it's really, really cool. Anyway, she would know this. None of you would know this, but I wonder what could be more inconsequential than a sparrow? Jesus says two of them are sold for a sparrow. And what I love about this, he says, he says yet not one of them is going to fall to the ground, even the very hairs of your number. You are worth more than many sparrows, and two of them cost a penny. Jesus is saying that you are at least worth six cents. You are worth many sparrows. Right? Let's say many is 12. That means six cents. That's not what he's saying. But I just think that's funny. It's like, if he said that today, we'd all be like... Um, but back in the day, Wednesday, they all knew. So, okay. But he says... Uh, he says, I take care of the sparrows. I give them food. I give them shelter. I, I, I give them everything that they need. Don't you think I'm going to take care of you? <clears throat> and he says, I even know the very number of the hairs on your head. So I preached this actually same lesson like three weeks ago at the West Campus. Two weeks ago? I don't know. Three weeks ago. <clears throat> it wasn't a Wednesday. Three weeks ago on a Sunday morning at the West Campus. And... I, I made the, I, I couldn't decide whether or not to do this joke. Because there's, I don't want to say they're all old people. They're not all old people, but they're, they're just older, right? And so, <clears throat> anyway, I said, uh, I said, Jesus knows the number of the hairs on your head. And for some of you, that number is declining. <laughs> anyway, it was great. <laughs> um, I asked them afterward if it was okay, and they all gave me a thumbs up. So, hopefully that was an all right statement. <clears throat> But Jesus cares for you. God cares for you. All right, that's number four. The fifth thing, the fifth way we can, we can know that we can have courage and intrepidity and fearlessness is the approval of the Savior. It's the next two verses. We're going to start with verse 33, actually, because I think it flows better, at least for my teaching. <clears throat> verse 33 says, Whoever disowns me before others... I will disown before my Father in heaven. Now I think that the point of this passage is that if you are a denier of Jesus, if you deny Jesus, then you are not one of His. In other words, <clears throat> if you deny Jesus, then when you're standing in front of your Father and your Savior in heaven, I shouldn't say in heaven, at judgment day, after you've died, and just picture this. You're standing in front of them. There's lightning. There's trembling going on. I mean, you can imagine. I can't imagine what he looks like, but, but you're just, you're standing. Maybe you're not standing because you can't stand. Maybe you're kneeling or, or you're on the ground or whatever, but you're on the ground and God looks over at his son and he says, is this one of yours? If you deny Jesus, Jesus is going to look over to his father and he's going to say, nope. That's not one of mine. And at some level, maybe we should live with a little fear. Maybe we should live with a little fear that you could deny your Lord and Savior. And that maybe the whole reason you're standing on this ledge of discipleship ready to jump off is because, because you don't know for 100% where your loyalty lies. But verse 32 is what gives us strength here. Verse 32 says, 
whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. What could give you more strength? What could give you more intrepidation than when you realize that you will not deny your Lord and that when you enter into His presence, He's going to look at you and you're going to look at Him and He's going to look over to His Father and His Father is going to say, is this one of yours? And He's going to look at His Father and He's going to say, yes, this is one of mine. Because He would not deny me. Because she would not deny me. And by the grace of your Savior, by the grace of God, you would stand before your peers. You would stand before your employer. You would stand before your neighbor. You would stand before your classmates. You would stand before anybody, all the hecklers and everybody else, and you would, you would declare that Jesus is your Savior. And that He is your Master. You would acknowledge Him. Now, Back to my story from the beginning. I'm standing up on this ledge and Abby's calling me and this happened. I jumped. I jumped. And it was... <laughs> She's like, I'll tell you later. I jumped. It happened. This, look, this story happened. Alright. It. She claims that we like went up there and talked about it and it didn't happen. It happened. I jumped. I'm going to have to go this summer and jump just so like, I can prove that I can do it. It happened. And it's 30 feet tall. Anyway. Alright, it may not be 30 feet tall. But I, it definitely happened. I jumped off this, I don't know, 5 foot ledge or whatever it was. Okay. I'm just kidding. It was at least 15. Maybe 20 or 30 or 40. Okay. So, it was a big ledge. Anyway, but are you ready to jump? Are you ready to jump into this, this uh, water of disciple making? Jesus is telling you to jump, 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 jump. And if you don't know what it looks like to jump, talk to Ben, talk to me. Uh, we'd love to talk to you about it. I'm going to pray over you and then we can chill. Lord, we love you so much for your son. We love you so much for everything. All the blessings you give us, God, you care for us so much. But God, we also acknowledge that you are powerful. And um, God, we, we thank you so much for giving us the courage, giving us the words. You whisper words to us through your scripture and through prayer. And, and uh, God, I just pray that we have the boldness, the intrepidity, the fearlessness to proclaim from the rooftops the things that you've told us. We love you. We praise you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, y'all.